0: podcast on the blog the boys podcast network i'm mark lane follow me on twitter at the real mark lane i'm joined by sean martin who you can follow on twitter at sean martin nfl well that was a uh, butt kicking wasn't it sean
1: in all three phases uh i mean obviously it's still something we're trying to process uh we try to be you know open with our listeners about how we come to you on a monday afternoon whether that means we recorded this on a. Sunday afternoon, usually in this case, is Sunday night. Or there was some consideration that we would do so on a Monday morning to hopefully process either a close loss, a close win, a big loss, a big win. But big loss is the outcome. And yeah, like I said, all three phases uh, leads to a lot of soul searching that's going to be going on. And in, in Dallas this week, a lot of answers that I don't think Cowboys fans are going to want to hear. But we're going to stick true to you know our brand here on hitting yardage, which is you know, kind of trying to do the best we can to look beyond just the immediate result and facts of what happened and looking instead at, you know, a little bit of big picture. But even still, this is a negative thing because big picture right now is the team that just knocked you out of the playoffs two years in a row, just so that they've in all likelihood, at least for the moment, of course, increased the gap on where they are this year ahead of you. And oh, by the way, the Philadelphia Eagles you know, beat the Rams and stayed undefeated and grew it up in in your own division. So I wish I had more good things to say. Of course we all did. And we'll try to gleam through some positives as we go along here. But for now it's 42 to 10 and a buck kicking to say the least.
0: Yeah. He's not even kidding when he talks about all three phases, even in the net punting average, the 49ers 44.3 Dallas 43.0. So, I mean, All three phases.
1: Yeah, we got to come on here after the Patriots game, right, and have a little bit of fun with the, you know, the one hidden yard that we found. That's not a weekly segment, of course, for any new listeners. Don't get your hopes up that we're going to uh, be able to drop hidden yardage as an actual reference every week. It's a little bit easier said than done, no? But, you know, last week was fun with the hidden yard on CDLM's 20-yard touchdown, not counting as red zone, which is what we would like to see because of that being the hot topic and, you know, Maybe, uh, this is sarcastic, of course, but maybe the only good from this game is that we don't have to talk about Dallas' issue being red zone because it didn't really matter. They didn't get down there. It wasn't going to matter if they did get down there. And uh, that's not the topic coming out of this game. It's something new and exciting to talk about. So uh, maybe that's what we should be looking forward to. But instead of something like that being the nuance in where they got beat or where they can improve, it's all three phases right now.
0: Who wants to talk about Red zone issues when you can talk about entirely um, rudimentary issues. You know, those are always fun to talk about after a 42-10 to 10 loss. But really, I think that it's a player's game, and you saw how Fred Warner was all over the place for San Francisco, and Christian McCaffrey was all over the place for the 49ers. But in the same vein, where was Micah Parsons tonight? Where were some of the Cowboys' mainstay, you know, some of those stars in the Constellation? Where were those guys against the 49ers, Sean? And I specifically mention Micah Parsons because you would figure if Fred Warner could show up and have the impact that he did, that Michael Parsons, similarly, on an equal stage, would be able to show up.
1: You know, it's so frustrating. I'm glad you mentioned Parsons' performance in the same light in context of, you know, guys who stood out for the 49ers, like Warner on their defensive side, and then, of course, McCaffrey, who it's nothing new this season that he's been dominant, but he just continued to roll right along coming into this game because, you know, it's one thing if you get beat, by you know down the roster players to prove that the 49ers still have this gap on you and you have to kind of reflect that way on okay how do we you know improve the bottom of our roster to be better than the bottom of their roster but if you get beat by the stars I mean it's like at this point what do you do besides ask even more from your stars but we have now a concerning amount of games to look at from these cowboy stars and I'm not here to call anyone out, or put them on blast, you know, say that they're never going to get it done, there'll be a time and place for that. Right now, right here, is not that. So, that's not where I'm going with this, but, you know, whatever grouping you want to make of who the actual bona fide stars are on this team, Parsons is, of course, still one, and, you know, I would maybe put C.D. in there, and, you know, the rest are up for debate. So, what have you on who your core of players you can count on for this Cowboys team is, Those are the ones that you need to see could be on the equal level of the teams you need to get past, like this 49ers team, of their stars. And I mean, that was just a massive difference in this game. You didn't get beat because, you know, somebody came off the field with an injury, of which there were plenty, of course, like Van Der Donovan Wilson, the list goes on. But you didn't get beat because, you know, a guy came off and they took advantage and made a quick play and that was the seven point difference. You got beat because those stars absolutely sewed out and yours did not. And, you know, again, I don't know what you do about that considering these are the guys that you've been counting on the guys we've been hyping up since training camp, which is nothing new. And the cycle just repeats of when you put expectations on the Cowboys team, they, uh, they seem to fold just a bit. And look, season long expectations are still there. A lot of things can still be in front of this team. So we'll get into that tonight, but, this loss is deflating, and it's going to be very telling where they go from here because defensively, I was actually on the first drive. You know, I was still holding out hope, of course. San Francisco did make quick work of the defense and got down there with Brock Purdy to take a 7 nothing lead. But to me, it looked like an extension, game plan wise, of the divisional round loss from a year ago, of course, on this very field where the MO and the game plan from Dan Quinn in that game was let's make Brock Purdy down in and down out prove that under pressure or what have you he's going to be able to consistently make a bunch of plays to drive down the field we're not going to let him sit in the pocket and throw a deep we're not going to let him run it right at us but we'll give up you know short to intermediate gains for the sake of thinking that over the course of a 10 12 15 play drive we have someone that's better than Brock Purdy that can make a splash and push him back so that's what I saw in that first drive I'm like okay they're not taking many chances but I like what we're seeing against Purdy. Let's see if he can finish this. And then he does. He throws one of what ended up being three touchdowns to George Kittle, immediately put pressure back on the Cowboys offense. They couldn't answer all night. And then from there, playing with the lead is what really neutralized Micah Parsons as you're getting into, because they did a great job chipping him with tight ends, using his aggressiveness against the Cowboys defense by trapping him up the field and being able to run right at him. So this was just a physical beatdown from The 49ers offense and the pass rush is probably the most absent. You know, there's so many things that are ugly about this game. Blame is going to go all around. It's going to cover up kind of where our blame should be very specifically targeted. But that doesn't do any good. It should be targeted at, you know, position groups that we, we can expect more from going forward. Because that's how you talk about this team getting better, which they certainly have the weeks to do so. Pass rush is a big area. It's, to be honest, probably been underwhelming even in the games that you've won. You know, the Giants game being an outlier because the Giants offense line has continued to really struggle. Just look what happened to them against the Dolphins, if you don't believe me. So that game being an outlier, the pass rush hasn't been all that great. You know, Splash plays against Mac Jones, who really struggled today and got shut out at home, and Zach Wilson, the side, too, and... It's not just Parsons in this case. It was other guys, but he's the guy that needs to lead the charge, and him being absent from this game is really disappointing.
0: Yeah, he, with four combined tackles, that's what Parsons had. Uh, it was the defense overall that uh, just couldn't get anywhere near party. I mean, you know, sacks, they are what they are. But quarterback hits, those really kind of tell the story of how you're affecting the passer. And you had Javon Cars. I mean, J. Ron Curtis, he had one quarterback hit, and then Oso Diggie Joua, he had a quarterback hit. That's it. Meanwhile, on the other side, you had nine quarterback hits that the 49ers were able to come up with on DAC. And that's what I'm saying. They came, you know, not just from, oh, random guys or so forth. Nick Bosa, one of the stars for, you know, San Francisco, he's got four quarterback hits. And yeah, it's like you said. I mean, it's Dallas's premier guys. They just didn't show up. Not even one of them really showed up. And that's kind of... The problem, and why I think there's a lot of uh, why people feel disconsolate about the, this outcome not so much 42 to 10, but just that it was a dismantling, and that your heroes were, you know, not even relevant.
1: And we've seen the 49ers win games with Brock Purdy in spite of him, not entirely in the sense that he's, you know, turning the ball over. He actually hasn't done so at all. So, Not in that way where it's like, oh, he got carried to this win, but, you know, we've seen the spectrum of either him being the star of the night or one of many, like in tonight's case, or him kind of taking a backseat to whether it's the run game with Kristen McCaffrey or the defense. What's frustrating even more so here, you know, that being the word of the night, it seems, of course, is, you know, Purdy's performance was almost the type of game that certain Cowboys fans have been begging the Cowboys to be able to get out of Dak Prescott. You know, it was the type of game where it's like, okay, we know Prescott is sometimes good enough, sometimes not to really carry a team. What can you do on those nights that he's not? Can the defense be good enough? And then of course, we finally answered that question in recent years with Dan Quinn, but this was his worst performance as Cowboys defensive coordinator. So you know, can you build around Prescott to not make it entirely Q B proof? I mean, he's got the big contract, he's got reasons to expect that he can prove this thing and be a real answer for you and your equation to winning the biggest games. And certainly tonight wasn't a step in that right direction that way. But the way Brock Purdy was just comfortable all night, able to drop the ball in exactly where he needed to go, manage this game from such an efficiency standpoint and play with a big lead, I mean that's something that the Cowboys should be able to find a way to do with Prescott. And instead, they can't do that, and they can't show until the playoffs potentially come around that they're anywhere close to this 49ers team. And I mean, you tell me, looking at this Cowboys schedule ahead, both short term and very long term, when you think about December trips to Buffalo and Miami, is what I mean by that. But you tell me somewhere along that road where you feel great about them putting a performance together that shows that they've completely erased in our memory, 42 to 10. I I don't see it. I I you know we've been around. Me and you both have been around the NFL enough to know that you know to score very well might not matter. <laughs> it's the NFL after all. We don't know how any given game is going to play out, but yeah, 42 to 10 is a significant gap to try to close. Just on the merits of oh maybe something different will happen. It was Brock Purdy versus Dak Prescott, and Purdy absolutely got the better of a quarterback that. We need to see a lot more from him, to say the least. His play call needs to help him more, that being Mike McCarthy, who just got handed him a you know, significant loss by Kyle Sanahan. Off at line needs to help him out. So many factors when it comes to just how much better the 49ers are than you right now, but none bigger than the fact that they kind of beat you at your own game, which is even more demoralizing. Well,
0: we talked about it here on In Yardage uh, in the offseason about how this five-game stretch was really kind of gonna tell the tale or just have the most narratives for the 2023 team because you start out with this rematch and now you know ghost of christmas past now you're going to co ghost of uh, christmas should have been with um you know kellen Moore and the chargers next monday night and then ghost of jerry you know still believes in a salary cap out dumb with uh the rams and then the uh Ghostest with the mostus with the Eagles, and then the Giants after that. I think to erase something like this, it's going to have to take a convincing win over the Eagles at at when they are at their zenith, not starting Gardner Minshew, let's say, or it's going to take you know beating a team like that late down the stretch, because otherwise, you know, I th- I just. Think Dallas's narrative has been capped to where they could go trounce the Rams, let's say fifty-five to ten, or even the Chargers this week. I'll be like and you. then it's going to be yeah, but see, Dallas has now been stuck with a yeah, but, and they'll never be able to undo it until you know, like you said, Buffalo, Miami, or the playoffs.
1: And the biggest thing for me that is really demoralizing here is. You know, I wasn't glued to San Francisco media this week to hear what Kyle Sanahan and the bunch were saying about preparing for Dallas, but certainly I was listening to what Dallas was saying and just how quickly this game flipped what could have been good and stayed good even after a loss, if it was a close loss, how quickly, because of the way you got embarrassed, all of that lead-in stuff flips to just embarrassingly negative. I mean, just bottom of the barrel, absolutely embarrassing when it comes to, you know, the Cowboys talking about almost having to find extra motivation for this game. And yeah, it does mean more. And it's, you know, the intensity has to be higher. And like I said, I can't answer for if San Francisco was saying things similar, but um, just based on how this game just played out in front of our own eyes, it sure seems like if we went back and looked at The 49ers quotes this week. It was probably along the lines of, yeah, this is just another game. You know, we don't have to add motivation or find an extra gear. We're just expecting a win. We're undefeated. We run the ball well. You know, we we defend. I mean, we have all these things. So the 49ers already internally can just go into any given game against anybody. You know, the only other test for uh, them in the NFC at this point would be how do they play the Eagles again? But they just got past the Cowboys and convincing fasten, So that's certainly good enough at the moment on that side of things so why they just get to prepare for any given game is yeah we know we're good enough and let's keep our you know keep our heads about it the Cowboys talked all week about you know yeah this does mean more and trying to build themselves up and the motivation is there and you know when if we do win yeah it's going to mean more and you know if we lose and yeah we have work to do and instead they get sent back to Dallas with a seemingly infinite amount of work to do, more work than you think you can even accomplish in the remainder of the season, which of course feels ridiculous with, you know, 14 games to go. But I don't think it's that much of an overreaction to say something like that, uh, you know, on a Monday after a loss like this.
0: Well, is it an overreaction to ask about the offensive line? I mean, do you think that this offensive line is still
1: dominant? Certainly didn't see that tonight. You know, I would have liked to see, and of course it got out of hand quickly, But a concerning theme in your losses so far this year, both to NFC West teams, the Cardinals and now the 49ers, is, you know, what happens to this run game? I mean, it just disappears as soon as you get any type of game situation. Against the Cardinals, once you were trailing in that game and never claimed the lead, the pass-to-run ratio is 50-29. to I mean, that's just not going to get it done. We know if Ezekiel Elliott was here, they would still find a way to get him the ball and make dynamic plays and yet we were sold on Tony Pollard and this backfield being even more dynamic so where are the big plays in this backfield I think the search for that answer starts with the offensive line like you're asking about and yeah certainly don't see that dominance when you let a guy like Fred Warner you know run three to second level and come downhill to make plays you could have a long night on offense and that's exactly what they did you never saw Tyler Smith going to the second level and digging these guys out much easier said than done, but still, that's a big trait of Tyler Smith. That's an overwhelming positive in his game as a first-round pick, and he never saw it against the 49ers. You didn't see, you know, the pass protection hold up enough to really ever give you a chance to hit on a play downfield. We heard about leading it to this game, uh, plays that were being held back, which, I mean, miss me with that when it comes to last year being, you know, a certain subsection of the fan base, thinking that Kelly Moore was holding plays back for the playoffs. And we saw against this very same opponent, how that went. And then they just tried to sell us on the same thing and we fell for it again, just because it's a new play caller. I mean, that's a joke. It's the West coast offense. We all know how it goes. And you know who especially knows how it goes? The 49ers who just game plan, game plan deal with two, you know, extinction in in, the, in your biggest game of the year. So absolutely miss me with that. But one thing we did hear that very well could have happened, if not for the game getting out of hand so quickly, was Brandy Cooks being involved more. I mean, that's a legitimate thing you can ha- you can hang your hat on that could have happened. There's there's no doubt that his number hasn't been called that much, and he's a veteran in a big primetime game that could have been more in the game plan this week. So that one had some merits to be believed, that maybe this would be something of a Brandy Cooks breakout game. And where was the drag routes? Where were the crossing routes? Where were the mess concepts? Where was anything that got the ball out of Prescott's hands to not get him beat up by this pass rush when you know it was coming, since you were down multiple scores all night? Offensive line takes a lot of that blame, but receiving cores and play calling as well, uh, you know, capitalized on why this was such a down night for the offense.
0: Yeah, I thought that Brandon Cooks, they threw some deep balls for him, but... You know, it's like, that's all that he got. Otherwise, he wasn't really that involved.
1: Yeah, and the other, the other you know, deep passes you threw where there was some contested plays for Gallup, you know, an out-of-balance fade throw and things like that. I mean, you're just asking Prescott to be to be so perfect right now. And again, look at what the 49ers are asking and Brock Purdy on the other side. I mean, I almost hate to you have to turn over every stone when it comes to a loss like this. You have, we're talking about the gap between two NFC contenders right now, and it being 32 points in our most recent example, head-to-head. So you have to turn over every stone, and look, I'm a Dak Prescott supporter as much as anyone else that's going to talk about him this week, which will be everybody and your grandma. But look how easy the game was for Brock Purdy, regardless of what the score was. Of course, it gets easy once you're up big, but you know, look at the first drive onward when this thing was still within striking distance, you know, up until halftime or whenever you want to say the white flag was raised, but it's, it's a bugaboo thing to talk about. It's uncomfortable to talk about for me and anyone else, and I'm sure you too, but look, the gap between these teams includes the way they scheme for their quarterback right now. I'm not saying in any world is, you know, Brock Purdy, world's better than Dak Prescott, but when you just watch Prescott have to throw these, you know, contested fades and jump balls and not having those check down throws that we've slightly come accustomed to seeing so far in the early returns on Mike McCarthy's offense. When it's good, that's what's there. When it's bad, it just completely vanishes, and it doesn't seem to be an in-between. It helps Prescott at all right now. The contrast was Brock Purdy in this game. That's a really tough pill to swallow because it wasn't Jalen Hurts. It wasn't Tom Brady. It wasn't Pat Mahomes. It wasn't any of these other, you know, contending quarterbacks that, the Cowboys have gone against and fallen short in games where you can say we already knew coming in that the quarterback was better. It was Brock Purdy where you fought some combination of Dak Prescott playing well enough and your defense affecting Purdy could make the difference and the and the script got flipped 180 degrees on Purdy being the infinitely better quarterback just in this game of course but you know as we expect him to continue to contend for the 49ers and we expect Jalen Hurts to do so for the Eagles the pressure just keeps to mount on Prescott to continue to be perfect and not drop any more games like the Cardinals game. And what does that mean for McCarthy's future? You know, all of that will be going through the heads of uh, the Dallas front office and coaching staff as such this week as they try to get ready for seeing an old friend, like you said, in Kellen Moore and the Chargers on another primetime matchup Monday night.
0: Yeah. And with, uh, like you said, with Aaron Rodgers, you know, he goes to the the Jets, and there was just kind of this vacuum of quarterback play um, in the NFC, and maybe Dak could be one of the top two guys to represent the conference. But, I mean, now, like you said, I mean, people are going to be thinking Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy. That's just the way it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, remember when Dak friendly was a was a buzzword for the Cowboys offense, I mean, we don't need to use even use those for the 49ers and the Eagles offense. It's just like an assumed, applied, you know, no-brainer, duh. Of course, your offense should be QB friendly. So, of course, the Eagles are Hurts friendly. He's a dynamic star with his legs and throwing the ball. And now, of course, the 49ers scheme, which should be almost similar to what the Cowboys are running, you know, West Coast, right? And that's why their defense was potentially so ahead of you you know, scheme-wise this week and why they had a step on here that McCarthy wasn't quite ready for is Purdy friendly as well, of course. And so that's another setback that Dak Prescott will have to overcome and whether or not they have to ground to show it to see you again is something I'm skeptical of.
0: Yeah, um, it, it's just, it's like, it's because it's coming off of a loss. You know, it engenders a lot of these negative feelings, you know, that readily come to mind. But still, going back to the offensive line, I I, I think that, uh, you know, they weren't able to get it done against San Francisco, but, you know, they can get it done against everybody else. But that's the problem is, it's this, you're going to have to answer for what happened in the San Francisco game at some point at some point this season. Whether it's in December, when it's time to clinch the playoff spot, or when you're in the playoffs, it's like it's all gonna come back to San Francisco, even if not literally at Levi Stadium.
1: And I think it was just an avalanche for the offensive line playing this game. I mean Terrence Steele was kinda quietly struggled in pass protection at right tackle this year. I know he's off the ACL and, you know, not trying to pile on him, but he struggled to let pass so just kind of get upfield and then you're forcing Prescott to step up and a good way to negate that would be more of those moving the pocket throws that you know Prescott has always excelled at even as early as his rookie year that's been a staple so and that was with a different play caller and offense entirely so you know that's consistently been a strength of Prescott's game But I think you were worried about calling those types of plays in this game because you don't want to shrink the field against the defense as fast as the 49ers you know you don't want to make short field reads for the quarterback that should be advantageous. Short re- short field reads for a defense that can also take advantage. And that's exactly what the Niners defense is capable of. They close in a hurry. Fred Warner comes away with the interceptions and, you know, we know how this game went even with Prescott throwing from the pocket. So getting him on the move wasn't so much an option to help you off that line that way in pass protection. And then they weren't able to do anything in a run game, you know, because of the deficit being one factor, but that's just one factor, and, you know, at least not trying to get downhill and impose your will a bit in a run game, that's kind of haunting, because they really didn't, and they didn't get to the second level at all to, you know, kind of rough up these linebackers and give them something to think about when it comes to what may be coming, and they're they're telegraphing past plays of Pollard in the game right now, because once it was clear that you weren't going to try to run the ball to get back in the game, apology best and really only pass protecting running back right now. So if you have the perfect storm of the offense line not feeling great about their ability to hold up and pass protection just on their own, and then you only have one back you can keep in to help as well, it almost doesn't help. So and it didn't in this game. So those things kinda canceled each other out and still gave Prescott no options. One of those options would be flipping the ball to Tony Pollard. That didn't happen. The next thing you think about from there is, you know, those check down type throws. Two of Brandon Cooks, who we just talked about, and he wasn't there. So, a lot of questions for this offense. Of course, every game can be talked about, first and foremost, from what happens in their trenches. The 49ers have been dominating games in the trenches for years. You think more about their defensive line than their offensive line. Although we open the show talking about, you know, their offensive line keeping Purdy clean enough to dominate this game. But that's one thing, because the game was never really in question, almost from start to finish anyway. So we flipped that to 49ers' defensive line versus Cowboys' offensive line. How did that matchup go? Well, certainly worse than you would have expected, worse than you would have liked to feel about how this Cowboys' offensive line finally starting all five of their projected and wanted starters didn't live up to any of the hype that they could have possibly uh, brought into this game.
0: yes but still you know the cowboys they've got big aspirations for this season and uh you know the nfl trade deadline is october the 31st so if dallas were to make a deal you know at the deadline um that player would be able to go against the eagles november 5th in the week 9 matchup so you know that's Kinda of really where you're targeting. Um with the Cowboys, with where they're at at three and two, um, are I mean, do you think that they should be buyers at the deadline and, you know, what position group would you look at?
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily think this team should be buyers, you know, the NFL trade deadline isn't like baseball where you can make significant moves and really shake up the standings. There's still moves to be made and yeah, you know, they always tell us they're considering all things, and we have reason to believe them because in this past offseason they did make the moves for Stefan Gilmore and Brandy Cooks, who Gilmore is now being counted on as your number one corner, and that's been a bit of an adventure. And Cooks has been a little bit underwhelming, so we need to see more from him. But yeah, I don't buy that they should be buyers because you know another rock to overturn from this loss is yeah. You know, Uh, elephant in the room type thing something seems off you know just with the overall chemistry of this team right you know i don't think it's nuclear to the point of uh you know coaches screaming and pointing fingers and guys throwing surface tablets and anything like that we don't have evidence of that but yeah i just see something that's off with where the expectations should be and this team wanting to talk about being a separate level team and playing with that intensity you know a group of talent is not enough to win in this league, and we can make fun of the Eagles' dream team as an example of that. But, you know, the Cowboys certainly aren't that team for a myriad of reasons. But, yeah, something seems off with the chemistry on both sides of the ball. On offense, at least you can chalk it up to what are still going for some growth under a new play caller. So maybe give it a, that a little bit more time. And by, you know, a little bit, I mean yeah, a week or two here because then it's really getting down to business on – what this season is going to be so maybe you give the offense another week or two but on defense it's still Dan Quinn's show and that's where I see a bit of a disconnect in you know getting lined up properly and having the right play calls and having guys in position to make the best plays so I don't necessarily think adding new faces that have to get acclimated quickly in the middle of the season fixes that at all of course and you know somebody out there that's a bona fide star can be the acceptance to that and come help this team, then of course we'd be all for it. But I really don't see that happening. And I see this team trying to dig in to uh, what they have and figuring out if it's good enough or not before potentially making some big changes in the offseason if it's not good enough. I might
0: trade for Ezekiel
1: Elliott. Yeah, I know we talked a bit during the game on, you know, I asked you early on, does this look like a Kevin Moore game? And you said it looks like a Moore game where you didn't have Elliott or he was limited. So I agree with you on that. and. You know, of course, the Patriots getting shut out at home today. They're certainly going through an evaluation process of their whole, you know, philosophy and roster and quarterback being the the big subject of discussion there in New England. So if you do have to evaluate your quarterback, what good does, you know, an aging Ezekiel Elliott do on that offense? And the answer is probably not much. So would that help Dak Prescott as far as having his friend in the backfield again? And would it help you? Backfield dynamics of, uh, you know, having two guys that can pass protect so you don't give a tip to the defense on what Pollard is doing before the snap. I think that can make a make a difference. So I almost can't believe myself as I'm saying this, and I'm kind of going with you on, uh, you know, trading for Ezekiel Elliott again. I'm interested to hear more of you, you know, explanation for that. But uh, yeah, it's not a crazy idea. Weeks ago, I would have certainly called it a crazy idea. But right here, after a 42 to 10 loss, where You only ran the ball eight times of Pollard for 29 yards, five times for Dowdle for 15 yards, and three times in probably garbage time with Deuce Vaughn. And then Prescott, one attempt. Uh, Yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from there.
0: Yeah, uh, if he gets released from New England, then you bring him in, and now he's on the most team-friendly contract he's ever been on since he was a rookie you know what i mean um and uh yeah because then you have uh pass protection and you have someone who's well loved in the locker room and then you have uh maybe a uh you know something that can help down in the red zone but again that's that's why you know that's uh, that's like a pipe dream type of thing. Um, what Dallas needs to do is really dig into the West Coast offense and see if the answers are there because you just don't feel like they've really deployed everything yet.
1: And pass rush wise, you know, opposing pass rush Forty ers I'm talking here, you know, this is also a game where I don't know if we talked about this much or leading into it, but. Quietly, I was expecting a big game from these tight ends in the pass game. I thought they could really be, you know, your options to help mitigate the pass loss and get the ball out of Prescott's hands and use them to chip and then throw the ball on roll out. And I thought we'd see some of that. And the fact that we didn't is concerning. I mean, I'll have to go back and on second watch, kind of see some of the reasoning behind how they performed in pass pro. But my suspicion on the first watch is, you know, of course, if you weren't seeing the tight ends much out there in the routes, it's because, of course, you were worried about the Forty pass rush, and you had to keep them in. But I already mentioned you had to keep Tony Pollard in too. So you mentioned what's the evolution of the West Coast offense? Well, you have to figure out a way to, in some fashion, feel good about some play, a package of plays you can call where you're pass protecting with five and getting the ball out of Dak Prescott's hands because there's no <laughs> there's no offense, you know, whether it's West Coast, Texas Coast, AOA, Don Coriel what have you, that can thrive in, with their only package being receivers out in the route and everybody else is in blocking. And that's what you kind of got reduced to in this game, it sure seems like. And that's why Pollard and the tight ends are limited and LF you asking questions about these receivers. So that's kind of the step we need to see from this offense is how can they mitigate pass rush, not by keeping everybody in and then still really ultimately failing to protect the pass rush anyway, which made this an ultimate fail failure. How can they use, you know, the West Coast offense to uh, you know, get the ball out of out of Prescott's hands, get some misdirection going in this thing. I mean Cavante Turpin scored the only touchdown, so that was a good sign. There was your glimmer of hope. It was pre snap motion, it was a slot fade. It gave him space to run. I mean that's something we can see more of, not only from Turpin, who got a little banged up, but that's about You'd like to see Cooks and am on as well, and Gallup potentially. I mean, anybody really, but yeah, with some speed, it certainly helps. So you think more of Lamb and Cooks in that regard along with Turpin. But where were the tight ends? That That's a major disappointment in this game. And on your point of bringing Elliott back, I mean, the last thing to say about that is how would Tony Pollard feel about it? And I don't think he would mind it because, look, he's all for trying to step up and be to do it all back, and he's trying. But I don't think he signed up for or watched many more games where his main assignment down in and down out is getting banged around by Dre Greenlaw and, you know, Rick Armstead and the likes of this 49ers defense. So he had a hell of a game back there trying to, you know, be an extra blocker. And that's an area where Zeke Olley doesn't mind doing that dirty work and go at would be, you know, more uh, clean throughout the game more for us to go make big plays on the ground, which is ultimately what you need out of him and the rest of these pass catchers.
0: All right, let's get to the Cowboys' birthdays. Uh, this week, we start on Thursday with Leon Lett, big cat, turns 55, played defensive tackle for Dallas from 91 to 2000. So that means he's got three Super Bowl rings, mind you. And on Friday, Quincy Carter uh, turns 46 years old, Yeah, everybody. I mean, he played quarterback from 2001 to 2003. Uh, Saturday, Brandon Whedon turns 40. So he's a grown man. And yes, he did play for Mike Gundy at uh, OSU, Uh, but he was with Dallas from 2014 to 2015. Those are your Cowboys' birthdays.
1: Remind me off the air sometime and uh, tell you a story about like a little video thing I made for Brandon Wade. And that's all I'll say about that. But yeah, remind me off the air about that. Um, fun to see Leon on this list. That's, of course, uh, hopefully a little something positive for our listeners to, you know, of any age group, really, to have a good memory, even if you weren't watching his playing days like I was, as me and you were fans of, you know, broadcasting history, right? And you can think of some iconic Leon Art calls, you know, like the, the, Light-hearted fumble in the Super Bowl against the Bills, where they were already up big, and at the time could have broken the Super Bowl record for points. But instead, he fumbles with Don Beebe through the end zone, and the announcer going, you know, in an exasperated voice, "Oh yeah, and the fumble and things like that." So, I think no matter what era of Cowboys fan you are, you can appreciate a, something that Le'Veon not contributed to this team. And of course, for those that were around for his championships, that's an easy answer because he was a you know big part of bona fide Super Bowl teams.
0: That's right. And that's just uh part of uh some of the magic that surrounds America's team. Before we get out of here, let's go ahead and uh find the fault in our triangles, Sean. What are your three faults from the from week five?
1: Yeah, this feels fitting considering I was a terrible geometry student, so uh you know, somewhere along the way it feels good to uh you know, be talking about a messed up triangle or what have you, but Uh, Of course, asterisk that with hopefully we don't have too many of these uh, more throughout the rest of the year, certainly no more 42 to 10s, but I'm going to start right away with Mike McCarthy, offensive play caller, a lot of pressure on him this season. This exact game is the type of one he needs to show up for, and his team was just flat out not ready for a myriad of reasons. The defense has to answer to their own things under Dan Quinn. That's really the Quinn show, you know, and there's not much crossover there from what McCarthy is doing, but yeah, McCarthy has to answer to this entire performance, and the offense only put up the to one touchdown. So, not being ready for this matchup against Kyle Sanahan puts a lot of fault on his lap that he'll be answering to before the questions later on this week turn to, you know, what will it be like to coach against Kevin Moore uh, next week. So, it's going to be an interesting week for McCarthy watch type of things to start off the triangle there. I'll go with the offense line as a whole, I kind of want to say. Uh, not that they were horrible in this game, but just again, not being able to live up to the hype of we all, you know, quote tweeted every thing we could find about all five getting to start for the first time with everything from, you know, the boys are back together to the Thanos glove from Marvel and all these great things. The Thanos glove was mine and yet they disappointed against the really ferocious forty nineers defensive line. Of course this defensive line had the advantage of playing from ahead all game, so That was significant, but yeah, you have to find a way to protect Dak Prescott to find a way to get more out of this offense. It starts up front, and he got dominated on both sides of the ball that way. So, Mike McCarthy, the offensive line, and then I'll throw in Brandon Cooks in that one. You know, whether that some of that falls back on my first point of McCarthy, kind of not really having him as part of the game plan when we heard that he might be, that could be some of it, but also, you know, upon further review, he'll need to. uh, you know, get open more, it seems, and be more of an option for Dak Prescott. We know Jerry Jones likes to talk about, you know, the new shiny things When whenever this team is underperforming. He likes to talk to the about the guys that he could point to and say, well, at least we tried. So especially after a loss like this, I'm sure we'll hear him talk about, well, we didn't get what we wanted from Cooks because that was our offseason guy, and that's why it hurts more because we expected, you know, players that we brought in to perform more in games like this. So how fair that is is a conversation for another time. But, yeah, to complete my triangle, I'll go Mike McCarthy, the offensive line, and Brandon Cooks.
0: Uh, The the fault in my triangle is the defense in the third quarter where they had – they gave up, you know, 40 yards to Brandon Ayuk on a third down and three from the 50-yard line. And, oh, wait, they're saved because it was holding. So then they redo, you know, third down, third and 13 from the San Francisco 40. Oh, they give up 42 yards to Debo Samuel, you know. So right there at that point, 21 to 10, they could have got him off the field then. They didn't. San Francisco goes down and Purdy throws a third touchdown pass for Kittle 28 to 10 you know and then it was just all San Francisco from there uh, another fault in my triangle uh Jaron Kurse. he incurred that um that uh false I mean that lined up in the neutral zone mind you and so then Dallas wasn't able to get the uh 49ers off the field then drive continues. You know, just part of that. If only they could have had a stop there, it really would have helped. And uh, then finally, my uh, third fault in the triangle. Unfortunately, Dak Prescott with the three interceptions. uh, You know, it was just a moment where he could not have had a pedestrian performance like this he really needed to shine and there was no shine and so those are the uh, three faults in my triangle
1: yeah I know we have to make this quick but uh, you make a great point about Purdy passing the guys like Ayuk and Samuel especially them doing their damage over the middle because I've talked before about you know that being the staple of Dan Quinn's defense is you know creating confusing looks for the opposing quarterback in the middle of the field and then forcing everything to be a tight throw on the outside when you had Diggs and Gilmore, that was to your advantage. And then we have seen Blandy Gilmore uphold that, you know, as recently as the Patriots game, but that's probably another thing to point to as far as just, just why this game was so concerning and why it was so out of character in so many ways for Dallas is because, you know, the middle of the field should be something that a Dan Quinn defense has on lock at times and, has to their advantage. Instead, the 49ers just took absolute advantage of it and hit Kittle for three touchdowns right over the middle and hit, you know, Ayuk and Samuel for so many big plays that gassed you. So of all the things that could go wrong, there's one that you can usually always count on from a Dan Quinn defense, and even that wasn't working for you. So if you need any more evidence that this wasn't the Cowboys night, you know, let's just add that to the, uh, to the list.
0: No doubt about it. Where can they find you on Twitter, Sean?
1: Hey, hit me up at Sean so in Martin NFL. You know, I know it's going to be a, an interesting week, but, uh, you know, I do appreciate all of our listeners and followers for just keeping the conversation going. I mean, hey, it's uh, you're allowed to be honest and be frustrated. Hopefully you hear some of the frustration from myself and Mark here. And we appreciate everybody for, uh, you know, trying to work through losses like this and hopefully find some positives, talk about the negatives and keeping the conversation, just, uh, you know, moving forward in a, in the best way we can. So we'll do exactly that next week for you
0: find me on twitter at the real mark lane subscribe to us on apple spotify tune in and stitcher so there it is